0: I hope you all enjoyed your snow apocalypse last week. I dialed that one up especially for you because I love snow. And the only thing I love more than snow is snow removal, which is better than snow because it kills you. And, uh, no, I, I hope, I hope you all had a great, great Sunday last week. Um, it snowed all through our church service and when we would have been meeting here and into the afternoon. And so my children each were armed with a shovel and they cleared, helped me clear our driveway, um, because that's how parents did it in the eighties and, uh, and nobody died. Thank the Lord. And, um, and just for, for the sake of posterity and future generations, somebody, some millennial has to know how to shovel snow. So I'm going to make sure that my kids at least know. So you can, you can thank me for that later. Um, although by that time, I'm sure they have some kind of technology that clears your driveway for you like a plow. There you go, something like that. Um, I don't know where I'm going. It is good to see you here today. That's what happens when I miss a Sunday. I get all hyped up, and I get all excited about telling you all the things that I've learned, and who knows, we might be here till three in the, this afternoon. So we're going to get moving here in just a moment. We started a couple weeks ago a brand new series on the book of Daniel, and we're so excited to get through Daniel this, uh, this semester. It should be a lot of fun. It is a, an encouraging story. It, there are um, some of our favorite Sunday school stories come out of the book of Daniel and Daniel's courage and his faith and his unwavering commitment to the Lord are so inspiring to many of us throughout the years. So we'll get to see those again in short order. But uh, and then also we transition into some really challenging stuff too when we look at the the prophetic visions and mapping out history of the world and it gets it gets a little bit daunting later on. Um, So I'm punting the ball down the field and hoping to spend the next couple months studying for those three or four uh, chapters because they get really tough. But today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 through 21. You can turn there, if you will. Um, before we do that, I want to share some news with you that affects our congregation. Um, many of you are aware, but some of you are not. So, um, uh, our sister Ruth Ganong passed away peacefully on Tuesday, uh, surrounded by her family. She had a, a medical emergency and she took a turn for the worse, and um, she was an exceptional lady. Just an amazing woman, a wonderful mother, a committed wife, a wonderful part of our congregation, uh, and we are going to miss her terribly. Uh, Calling hours uh, will be today from 3 to 5 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, and then there will be a 5 p.m. memorial service right here as well. Um, if you are interested in being part of that, uh, there's going to be a family burial service at uh, the Saratoga National Cemetery tomorrow morning. But I just want to make you aware uh, of that, um, that development in that story there. And be praying for the Genong family. Uh, there's a lot of grief that they're feeling now. Um, and uh, we we'll are be praying that the Lord would use this season of grief to bring many to faith and to repentance. And uh, that's their heart. And that would be Ruth's heart Uh, She loved the Lord Jesus, loved her Bible, loved her church, and loved so many of us. So um, make sure you keep praying for her, uh, for her family. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to read all the way to verse 21 because this is a really fun story. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift that we find in being part of your church. We thank you for friendships, for the example of older brothers and sisters in the Lord, for the powerful testimonies of saints like Ruth Ganong. Lord, we thank you for her life and the legacy of faith that she left behind. And God, we do pray for her family to be comforted by your grace through this season. We pray for the services today that, that, Lord, her testimony as a child of God would be on full display and that many would hear the saving grace of Jesus and turn to you in faith. Lord, as we open the Bible today, we need your wisdom We thank you for its truth, we thank you for its effects, and God, I pray that you would speak through me uh, to our congregation, that we would know you, that we would understand what you'd have for us today, that we would walk in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the... The book opened last week with a brief, or two weeks ago, with some brief introductory material on these four Hebrew youths that occupy much of our attention over the first few chapters. And We said that, that King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, stole away the elite, the upper echelon of society, the royals, the nobles, pulled them away to train them and indoctrinate them in all the ways of the Babylonians. And we pick up here... After these guys were given new names that we recognize, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, we, we pick up here with the first faithful test. I've organized my thoughts today around that, that heading, the faithful test. And it begins with this, this heartfelt commitment to the Lord. can't tell you how, many, how, how it struck me as I was studying how, how many of the big moments of our lives begin with a quiet resolve in our hearts to not defile ourselves. Daniel made this this commitment. In verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. A fateful decision. One that got him in some hot water. One that that potentially caused great problems for Daniel. Not much has changed for us today. I think some of the greatest things that we'll ever see God do begin with a heartfelt, calm, peaceful commitment. To not defile ourselves before the Lord, to be obedient, to be faithful, regardless of what it costs us. This young makes a vow to the Lord that he's going to keep himself pure in this one area. And it seems like a weird area, doesn't it? Out of all the things that were going on in his life, he was away from Jerusalem, away from his home, away from his his church family, if you will, the religious structures of the day. He's been deported and now he's being forced to this... Um, through this new program of indoctrination, he, he's trying to find a way to be faithful and pure to God and still live in the place that God has placed him. And he picks here. He picks he picks his diet as as the way. He picks his diet as as the thing to make his stand on. I wonder wonder what it is that makes it so important. You know, some of us have kids and a refusal to eat the food that's prepared for them. That's just called dinner time. That's not there's nothing special about that. That's just every meal that we've ever served our children ever in our entire lives. In fact, it's one of the things that man and I are most looking forward to about being empty nesters someday, sitting down and eating a meal without anybody complaining to us about the meal that was prepared. And I mean, I think that happens. I don't, it's been 14 years since we've had one of those meals, so I don't know. Faintly in the distant past, I remember. What is it about this? This What is it about the food? Why, why would he say no thank you to the food? One reason may have been that the foods eaten at the court of Babylon would not have been clean according to the law of Moses. One commentator suggested that they would have been offered things like pork and horse flesh. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you offer me horse flesh, I'm going to withdraw too. I, don't, I can't do horse. That's okay. you know. Pig, okay. Yeah, sure. Not horse. And not goat, by the way, too. Just this is a side note for you. I had a pastor friend tried to feed me goat one time. It was nasty. Just nasty. So that's, and it wasn't Duke. It wasn't Pastor Duke. I probably should say that. <laughs> Poor Pastor Duke. He's not even here. He, you all thought it was him. That's a scary thought, too. You ever considered that I made a joke about a pastor feeding me goat and you automatically thought about him? <laughs> Tells you a lot. It was Ed Marcel at Terra Nova, I promise. Anyway, but so what could have been that it was just unclean, maybe they were prepared in a way that wasn't in line with the Levitical law, maybe the blood hadn't been drained out of them, or maybe they were just forbidden foods. At any rate, to eat them would have produced in Daniel a, a, a situation of uncleanness and, and defiling himself before the Lord, and he wouldn't do that because he was faithful to God. Another reason may have been more of a spiritual one, not just the, the food itself, but The food and drink was likely, on certain occasions at least, offered first as a sacrifice to the Babylonian gods. Whatever the gods didn't take for themselves was fair game. And so for Daniel and his friends, it may have been that a refusal of the food was a way for them to maintain faithfulness in worship. You might remember that first century Christians had a similar dilemma too. The Apostle Paul had to address this issue about food offered to idols and how to live free in in your own conscience. Daniel and his friends desired to remain faithful to God's word and faithful to the Lord, so they refused to defile him. This says Daniel resolved that he would not, but all these guys are included. They would not they would not defile themselves. So here was a small thing, a perceived small thing, that meant the world to them. And here was a small way that he could push back a little bit and stand on his convictions at a time when that sense of freedom had been taken from them in other areas. So he found, he, he found the strength to make this decision, then he, then he asked his supervisor, the chief of the eunuchs, he, said, he asked him if, if it would be okay if, if he would um, feed him something different, make him, make him a meal, a diet out of nothing but vegetables and water. You see, Daniel cared deeply about his personal holiness. Can't believe I just said that in 2019, right? Personal holiness, not something we hear very much today. Not a word or a theme that occupies much of our preaching as much as it should. Holiness literally means to be set apart from this world and set apart for God's purposes. We are commanded in the scriptures to be holy just as he is holy. Holiness let me, and we have different ideas about what holiness means. It, it literally just means to be set apart. It does not mean that we are conjuring up within ourselves some super spiritual power that's only reserved for next level Christians. We have this idea of holiness that it is some kind of super human morality. When in reality, holiness is simply faithful obedience to what God has called us to. And it's really not glamorous at all. In fact, holiness is forged in the most unglamorous ways you can think of. In small things that the world sees as strange and odd, yet mean the world to us. See, Daniel desired more than anything to honor the Lord with his obedience. So much so that he was willing to put his very life on the line. And you might think, Matt, you're a little dramatic here. His life was really on the line? Absolutely. Consider what was happening here. He's, he's being trained to serve in the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. Refusing the royal diet could be seen as an insult. It could be seen as direct disobedience against somebody who clearly has no problem killing people. Peer pressure. It would single him and his friends out amongst all the other youths that were training in this program as well. It could potentially hurt their chances for employment and their positions in the future. And some of you who feel the pull on a daily basis to compromise your faith and convictions at work in order to get ahead know this feeling. To hold hold faithfulness in what is perceived as a small thing and a strange thing to others might actually hurt your chances in the future. This new place and new world that they were in could have convinced them to compromise. After all, they were far away. Who would ever know? Their mom and dad wouldn't find out. It's not like it was going to be recorded for them. How would they ever find out? It's just a small thing. It's just food. It's not that big a deal. But to them, they stood on their convictions, and they asked for the freedom to have their diet withheld and a new diet of nothing but vegetables and water given to them. It didn't go so well that first time. So Daniel has to concoct a bit of a courageous plan, which is my second point. You see, the Bible says that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The guy who just asked to make an, uh, make an arrangement for him make an exception. God gave him favor and compassion in that guy's sight, but not enough favor and compassion for this guy to risk his life. He fought well of Daniel and his friends, which isn't surprising. Over and over again through the scriptures, we see that God places his people and grants to them favor and influence. People like Joseph Right, people that really had no business being where they are, but God in his mercy and in his providence put them there for his purposes. But, but the chief of the eunuchs was afraid for his life. He had a job to do, and his boss was a bit of a tyrant. He says, I fear my lord, the king, and he should, he should. So he's not, he feels his compassion, but not enough to put his own neck out there on the block. And that's exactly what was at stake here. He was responsible for overseeing this program. And if under his leadership these four Hebrew youths were allowed to deviate from the program, the result and and the result would be maybe poor performance or appearance, malnutrition because of a new diet, the king would be furious. And doubtless the one responsible would be punished, likely by death. He is prone, the king is prone to harsh decisions and extreme punishment. Next week, you're going to hear about how he was so angry with his advisors because they wouldn't interpret a dream that he ordered all of them killed. Because that's a reasonable thing to do. Nebuchadnezzar might have been one of the greatest leaders of the ancient world, but he was not the most emotionally stable man in the Bible. So the chief of the eunuchs was a little bit afraid to share that. So he says, sorry, Daniel, I can't do it. He can't do it because, listen, what happens if I give these guys what they want, they eat nothing but vegetables for 10 days or or more, and all of a sudden they they look sick. They look gaunt. They're They're not as energetic anymore. What if it has a negative effect and they find out that I'm the one who changed their diet? Can't do it. So Daniel, Daniel doesn't stop there. He goes to the next guy down the line. Because if... I mean, many of, you, many of your children know this. If dad tells you no, just go ask mom, right? You might start at the top and not get the answer you want, but somebody in that, in that leadership circle, somebody loves you enough to break the rules and help you out. And it's usually grandma or some well-meaning aunt who's destroying your parental authority, right? So he finds this steward over them the guy who's, who's directly responsible for them, and he asks them, he says, listen, here's the plan. Just give us vegetables and water and just do it for 10 days. Not forever, let's, let's just start there, start small. Just do it 10 days, and then at the end of 10 days, evaluate us and see how we do. Put, put it, we'll put it to the test. It doesn't have to be forever. Honor us in this thing, and then we'll see what happens. And so we listen to him. This man risked his own life. And it had nothing to do with their power of persuasion, but everything to do with the fact that God was working in the situation. And then something crazy happened. At the end of 10 days, they were actually better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all of their peers. Than all of the guys who were eating the food that was from the king's table, the best food in all of Babylon, They were eating a diet of that. These guys who had nothing but vegetables and water, they were in better shape than the youths who were eating from the table. And the reason this little detail is here is not to make some American author $38 million selling copies of the Daniel Diet. Can we we talk about the silliness of that stuff for just a moment? As though the reason that this story, and I don't mean to offend you if you're a plant-based diet person. Have fun, right? Um, It has nothing to do with, it's not a moral statement, but my point is that if you read Daniel 1 and you walk away with the conclusion that you're supposed to eat really healthy and that God would make you fatter in flesh, that's not a diet. That's just ridiculous, right? you The point is not that we should organize our whole diet around vegetables so that we'll honor God and he'll make us healthy. The point was that they did something that should have led to their demise and instead led to their success. It was a God story. It was... I I heard Alistair Begg say this recently. He's, He's Scottish, so he can say it. He's like, the gullibility of the American church is just astronomical like that, that Prayer of Jabez book yeah, that was sold crazy 15 years ago. And be careful. If, that, if you read Daniel chapter one and that's your takeaway, you need to read it again a couple times. Like I, the point is that God gave favor and God did something powerful and miraculous where what should have happened was they should have looked feeble. They should have looked ill. They should have lost weight. They should have not been as healthy as their counterparts, but instead what happened was they were fatter in flesh. And just again, that's not the definition of a diet. If you diet so you can become fatter in flesh, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Trust me, I've been on that plan for a long time. That's easy to do. That is no problem at all. All right, here we are. The outcome is they looked better. So the steward, he says, okay, well, look. If you're performing better than your counterparts, even though we've changed the diet, hey, we'll keep going then. And he does that for the remainder of the time. He took away their food and the wine they were to drink and he gave them the vegetables they asked for, for the duration of the program. See, God was applying his blessing to these guys. And as is often the case, a small, unseen decision of the heart a commitment of the will to honor the Lord and be faithful in the little things has granted an opportunity for these men to see God's faithful activity in their lives. And we could explore this so much more. But every one of us every day has opportunities to compromise. The opportunities are there and calling for us. And our commitment to the Lord to honor him in the little things is an invitation for us to see his activity of faithfulness to us. See, God blessed them. He gave them learning and skill. Each of these young men were given by God special intellectual abilities. Daniel was given understanding in verse 17. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. He he was able to interpret and understand things that no one else could. And in the same way that learning and understanding were special gifts that God gave to these youths, this was a special gift from God, a special empowering and enabling ability to bring to light what was hidden, to be a voice to take what was mysterious and clouded in darkness and make it plain out in the light. And then they were given their final exam. At the end of these three years, They were brought before the king. Which must have been terrifying. I imagine it's like defending your dissertation, which is something I've never done because it terrifies me and I would never want to do that, right? I imagine there's a lot of fear and anxiety wrapped up in this. I mean, what happens if they fail? Are they they disposable? I mean, to, to a guy who is so harsh and so dramatically unstable... What happens if they make a mess of it? What if they get stage fright? What if they, they freak out and can't speak? I don't think they're going to get a do-over. Right? So they come in before the king. Apparently not his advisors. He is the one administering the final exam. And if they were to serve in his presence, if they were to serve on his team, be an advisor, serve with him, they must impress him. He would have to approve that hire. How challenging for them. And what he found in these four Hebrew youths was exactly what he was looking for. Daniel tells us that among the candidates brought before the king, none were found like Daniel and his friends. That of all the people who were deported and put through this exam, through this program, nobody was found except these, coincidentally, these four guys. These four Hebrew boys who honor the Lord and want to seek his faithfulness. They, these guys are the ones that stand out. And so they stood before the king. They were, that means they were given positions in the king's court. They were in his presence as a team of advisors. He goes as far as to say in verse 20 that in every matter of inquiry, every matter, the king found These four Hebrew men, ten times better than all that were in his kingdom. Not only better than the other candidates, but also better than the current staff. Everybody in his kingdom. They found these guys better than everybody. God's hand of blessing was paving the way for tremendous influence here. And we need, to, we need to not lose sight of a very important piece of the puzzle here. That these four men were exceptional. This was not the rule. This was not common. They were extraordinarily gifted. They were head and shoulders above their classmates academically. But Daniel is very clear to us and to all who read his writings as to where those skills and gifts came from. They were not... Be, these men were of the royal families. In Jerusalem, they were children of nobility or they wouldn't have been taken. They had access to greater education and greater privileges than many in the kingdom. But the one reason that they exceeded expectations and set themselves apart was not because of their past education, but because of the special gifting of the Lord. That God had a plan and a purpose for them, and because he had a plan for them, he gave them the gifts necessary to accomplish his plan. Some of us feel so overwhelmed and so inept and so useless to God that we won't step out in faith and follow him because we believe we somehow don't measure up, that we can't get the job done. And what we need to hear this morning is that Daniel is not an example to us because he was so brilliant. Daniel's an example to us because he was faithful and God gave him all that he needed to get the job done. And if any of you are parents in the room, you know exactly how this feels. What an overwhelming challenge to train up our children to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We feel so completely incapable and yet God promises to give us everything we need. And you might feel overwhelmed today to take a stand at work knowing that your boss wants you to compromise, knowing it might cost you dearly, wondering if you have the strength necessary. You do. He will empower you to accomplish his purposes and his plan. And then he gives us a little timestamp, verse 21, which doesn't have a whole lot to do with this current story. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's like a parenthetical note at the end of a paragraph. Interesting, interesting note. And you might read over that and not understand what it's doing. But what that means then, that even by today's standards, Daniel lived a long, long life of service somewhere between 85 and 90 years old, meaning he was in the service of the Babylonian kings for more than 70 years or during the entire duration of the captivity. Some interesting interesting things to see in this little phrase because it wasn't just a random mention of the general time of his death. It serves as a crucial link in the story. Daniel, taken into exile, served, in the, served the Babylonian kings throughout the duration of the Neo-Babylonian period, the entire exile, that 70 years. He continued to serve the kings of Babylon into the reign of Cyrus the Mede, the Persian king who released the Jews from their captivity and sent them back to the land. Remember the story of Nehemiah? Daniel provides that link. I wonder what influence Daniel had in the king's life when he made that decision. I wonder if God granted him favor and compassion in King Cyrus' reign as well. Can you see how what appeared to be chaos to Daniel and his friends in the broad history of what God was doing with his people was a redemptive link? between their rebellion god's corrective discipline and their restoration what a beautiful time stamp for us god has not forgotten his people and god so loves his people and has so many has plans perfect plans for them that he works his servants into situations that they're confused by and overwhelmed by and feel incapable to accomplish. And he does them for his purposes and for his glory and he provides all the skills and resources necessary to get the job done. So what? What does all that mean for us? How in the world are we to interpret and apply some of this today? What would God be revealing to us in this study? Because last I checked, we are not being deported yet. I don't think that they're laying siege to the church at Newtown Road and carrying us off. The best of the best of us would have to go and I have a list in my office of who that is and I'm not gonna share that with you, but <laughs> what do we see today? What, what can we take? The first is this. I want you to see that holiness in our personal lives is an opportunity to see God's blessing. I don't, I don't wanna give you the I don't want to give you the false impression that God is a pagan God who, who is waiting for us to do a little dance and he responds every time we do. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, but what I am trying to say that is that our faithfulness in obeying him out of a worshipful response opens the door for us to see God's faithfulness towards us in his blessing. Daniel and his friends were taking a substantial risk in refusing the meal. But their risk was a step of faith. Can I just be frank with you? Most every step of faith is a step that seems strange to those around us. Most every step that requires that kind of faith in God seems like a strange thing to people who don't know him. People who don't share your passion for obeying Christ. And it does mean some odd things to us, doesn't it? It, it means withdrawing from things that others participate in. It, it means engaging where others back out. It means forgiving our enemies. It means loving the unlovable. It means humbling ourselves instead of seeking our own kingdom growth. All those things seem strange to our world. And yet those small steps for us, those commitments that we make, open the door for God's opportunities in our lives. We find ourselves today just like Daniel and his friends in places ripe with opportunities opportunities for risk and for faith, opportunities for obedience and holiness, opportunities for God's blessings to be on display. So forgive, even when it seems foolish. Love your enemies. Live your life with sobriety and self control. Speak gracious words. Order your finances to give God a place of primacy in your giving. Tell the truth at all costs because God is a truth teller. He doesn't lie. Be willing to care for the poor, the fatherless, and the widow and demonstrate pure religion. Do all those things that seem awkward and strange. Be faithful. Obey. Be holy. And watch how God ministers to your life through it all. Secondly today, God's purposes and his plans will be worked out in real time and in real situations. It is interesting to see how he used Daniel and his friends in positions of leadership and influence at a precise time and for a specific season. And that should give all of us a sense of confidence with our own callings, with our own vocation, that we are where the Lord wants us and that he is able to use us right where he has placed us and he's powerful enough to change that if he wants to. He could bring a foreign army, lay siege, and carry you off to a foreign country if he chose to. He can open a door for a new job when he's ready. He can open the door for a new house when he's ready. He can lead you in your decision-making about your finance. He can do all of that when he's ready. But where you are right now, today, in this exact moment, is exactly where he's placed you. So be faithful to him there and open your eyes and look for his work. See what he's doing and pray for him to change the situation if you like that. But be content with what he's done. He is capable and able to use you right now today for his purposes. And thirdly today, I want to say this, that God's gifts and his abilities are just that. They're his. They're not yours. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians? What do you have that you didn't receive? What, do you, what part of you do you possess that God didn't influence and give to you? Are you a brilliant person? You're really smart? Do you think that just happened? Or did God create you that way? Are you exceptionally mechanically inclined? Are you skilled with your hands? Do you think that just happened? Or did God create you that way? Do you possess a lot of, of material goods and wealth? Who gave you those opportunities? Did you make good business decisions? Who influenced your discernment and gave you the ability to choose wisely? Who saw fit to have you born in this era of human history in the greatest nation the world has ever seen at a time of unprecedented prosperity? What do you have that hasn't been given? So if that's the case, then every strength, every gift... Every ability you have needs to be surrendered to him, offered to him for his use, for his purposes. And I'm not just talking about ways to serve here in our ministries, although Mandy would love to get you smiling at the door. We'd love to have you helping us in the nursery, love to have you teaching our children and laying up a foundation. We're not just talking about ministries here. I'm talking about out there, your position at work, the people you work with. The people you're in school with, the decisions that you influence, the ways that God has strengthened you, all of it is for him. And maybe what you need to hear today is just a challenge from Daniel's life to ask this question, am I willing to submit all of my gifts and all of my strengths to him? Am I willing to look for those opportunities to live my life on a day-to-day basis for him? Am I willing to surrender control? Am I willing to see my workplace as my mission field? Am I willing to see my gifts and my strengths as my offering to God, whatever that is? Are you offering your gifts and your abilities to him? Are you offering the strength of your mind? Are you offering the strength of your body? Are you yielding your members to to be slaves of righteousness to God? I want to close with this thought. Cindy Acker is Ruth Ganong's daughter. Many of you remember Cindy. Cindy. And Cindy was reading through Ruth's journal the other day, collecting scraps and notes and pieces of paper that she had written. It was encouraging to see what was going through her mind as a young girl. She came to faith in the Lord after meeting Howard, who became her husband. And she found a prayer for her life that was tucked into her journal. It had been translated into English and we're going to use it today in the, the service. But I wanted, I wanted to read it because it ties in exactly to that third point I just made. About how all the gifts and all the abilities, everything we have needs to be surrendered to the Lord. Here's what our sister Ruth Ganong wrote, I don't know how many years ago. And it was tucked into the leaves of her journal. Lord, I give up all my own desires and places and hopes. And I accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, all that I am and all that I have to you forever. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit with every breath I take. Use me as you will. Send me where you want. Work out your perfect will in my life, no matter what it may cost me. Help my unbelief. Help my lack of desire. May Jesus in me, God himself, my God, be my sole purpose. Amen. I think we would all do well to follow our sister's example, wouldn't we? It cost her an awful lot. It led her to a whole new world, a whole new life. I think God honored that prayer in Ruth Ganong's life. I'm confident God will honor that prayer in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gifts you've given. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Ruth Ganong and her testimony and for this great story today of faithfulness. Lord, remind us that our faithfulness in the small things, our obedience, our our statements of personal holiness God, those those statements open a door for your blessing in our lives. They open us an opportunity to see you, to know you, to understand you differently and more closely. Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts, that, that we would not be foolish to think that we're somehow earning your favor because we do good things, but instead help us to love you enough to be obedient. And then to rejoice in the faithfulness you provide. Lord, thank you for all the ways you place us exactly where we're supposed to be. Even when we don't understand the plan or the purpose, even when it seems like chaos, remind us that it's controlled, that your hand is over all of it. God, that nothing happens apart from your tender care, and that you have a purpose for it all. Help us to dwell at peace in your provision. And God, give us the glory and the privilege of seeing you use us to accomplish your plans. In Jesus' name, amen.